We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. to another edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And we are here talking about Wild Card Weekend as the Buffalo Bills beat the Dolphins 34-31. to Chris? Yeah. Never in doubt, right? Never a moment. I Never mean, doubted it. <laughs> they definitely made it difficult. On themselves. <laughs> oh my god! That's for sure. What a game! Let's talk about for let, stats of the game. Skylar Thompson, eighteen of forty-five, forty percent completion percentage, two twenty, one touchdown, two picks, four sacks, and a forty-four point seven rating. That seems wrong. You look at that, and you look at the box score, and you go, "What?" No. Josh Allen, 23 of 39, 59%, 352 yards, three touchdowns, two picks, seven sacks, seven sacks, 93.1 rating. Skylar Thompson and Josh Allen finished the game with the same EPA per play. That just underscores how many positive plays Josh made and that the negative ones were glaring. Josh Allen in the fourth quarter, average depth of target, 26.3 yards per pass. <laughs> that's <laughs> what? That's a Madden stat. Miami running backs, 26 total rushing yards, 1.7 yards per carry, 58 combined receiving yards, and three total first downs. Wide receivers Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis, 13 of 18 for 227 and one touchdown. 
the game, Chris, like if you're counting it like hockey, game-winning touchdown? Yeah. Bills linebackers, Edmonds, three pressures, one sack, one, they completed one of five against him in coverage for 14 yards, and he had four pass breakups. One was legit. Milano, seven solo run stops, two tackles for loss, and two sacks. The game time, the longest home game in Bill's history at three hours and 53 minutes. It felt like it. That game felt like it took years off my life. Literally and figuratively. Yeah, I'm usually uh, accustomed to coming in for my three o'clock break and the third quarter has just started. Not them already being in halftime. <laughs> well, what I love, what I love is the way the day started. As you know, we had a huge crowd show for the last few tailgates. I was like, okay, we've got people in from out of town. Chris, you came over Saturday night and hung out with Lieutenant Colonel Yulberg. Mark, everyone was at my house and we all kind of what drank, ate, but as you always tell me, eyes on the prize. Yeah, yeah. Well, I made sure when I came over to that I was going to be a pretentious asshole. And I, <laughs> and I brought, I got for Christmas, I got that, you know, on-the-go bartending a, kit. He has a I, traveling mixology kit, which just infuriates. Like, when I saw it, Chris, I was in a really good mood. I was like, oh, everyone's here. My friends are all here. A buddy who I don't get to see all the time is here at my house. I'm in a great mood, so I'm not going to go knock that thing over. <laughs> I'm just not going to shove it up to the ground. But I want you to know that like a cat, when you leave a glass too close to the end of the table, it crossed my mind. Yeah, and I also, I also did leave you a bag of ice. I know you did. Also, one of the reasons I did not shove your, your market on the ground is because I was like, when well, he's going to leave, and he's going to leave all this fancy ice, <laughs> and I'll be down here drinking it later. It's not fancy ice. It's just water frozen with no impurities. It's, <laughs> it's not crystal fa- clear ice. Yeah. Do you know how little time I have with two kids? I'm not making ice. Ice happens, or I buy it at the store. No, you're, you're dumb. <laughs> yes. Has it ever been has it ever been disputed? So the day starts and I'm like, you know what I want to do more than anything is I want Yulberg to get to see what I see on Sundays. So I'm going to get him to the stadium as early as possible just to be out there in the quiet, just the ambiance of the stadium while we drink our coffee and we show up and there's these guys in our parking spot. Ooh, yeah. Guys in our parking spot in the Tahoe with, like, one of those solo stove, like, smokeless fire pits. Yep. Yuppies. I can already tell because they got multiple Yeti coolers. So we start trying to make conversation with him because I'm like, well, hey, you guys beat us here. You guys get my spot. I'll give that to you. And I start trying to talk to him, and they immediately tried to turn it into a pissing match of, oh, let me ask you some weird questions, man. Like, we're weird. It was like the SNL skit. We're wild and crazy guys. Chris. Are they from Czechoslovakia? uh, No, but they should have been. They should have been wearing Paisley shirts. Here's the thing. I have Yulberg with me and I have Doug. Between Doug and I, who do you know who can make another group of adults feel uncomfortable better than Doug? And me. Me. 
<laughs> yeah, well, you, but that's because of your Asperger's and your just inability to relate to other human emotions. Also when you true. want to talk about being off-putting, who does it better than Doug and I? Doug can be very off-putting. He does, <laughs> it's because he does have a man bun. Also, he likes to... like The stories we tell very casually are usually horrifying and disgusting. Oh, yeah, when you met his now wife and you were naked on the couch with a roast beef sandwich on your chest. Yeah, he, like, he loves to tell that story, and I love to hear him tell it. It's Because real, realistically, it's one of the funniest moments of my entire life. <laughs> the thing is, we have no shame. So we shut them up. And then Yulberg's like, I don't think we're going to be friends with those guys. <laughs> no, no. The answer is we were not. Nonetheless, started the day early, and it was a great day of tailgating. Chris, for the last month, like you, you'd have to come see it. Do you remember the the the, the Saturday? The, what is that Saturday night game against Miami? Yeah, I was there. Okay, would we have like forty people to tailgate? Something like that. It's been that size every single Sunday since then. The tailgate has finally taken off. We've gone mainstream, dog. It's it's weird, but I love it. Ben Kerr has started this wonderful con- tradition of just smuggling tall boys of Molson Dry across the border. I told him, I go, ever since you started doing it for us, we've been winning. So now you can't stop. You have to bring me and Mark some tall boys of Molson Dry. <laughs> and he does it and we win. And I love him for it. I love that guy. It was just a great atmosphere. People stopping by from all over. We had guys from Jersey, guys from Carolina, multiple Canadian provinces. Iman and I have this running joke now where if we can go a few hours at a tailgate without seeing or talking to each other, you know the tailgate was a hit because that's how many people showed up. It was a gorgeous day for a football game, great day for a tailgate, and also Potter showed up. Like, I'm thankful to everyone who came, but Potter showed up with one of the coolest things ever. Do you know they sell Nerf guns for adults? Like, I did not know that. These things can go, like, uh, like probably about 40 yards on a rope. But they're rubberized Nerf bullets and pump-action guns that, like, like, it hurts. It feels like you're getting hit with pebbles. He brought one to the game to show me, and now I'm going to buy them for all my children. They'll grow into them, right? Yeah, they will. And then in terms of the stadium, the crowd and the atmosphere couldn't have been better. It was just a lot of fun to be a part of. One of the few games I sprinted to and from the bathroom back to the seats for. Like I, I like, like a little kid, I'm standing on the steps of our section watching under the railing because I didn't want to miss anything spectacular. The digs, big bomb to start the game. Yeah. I saw that looking under the railing on my tiptoes like a child because I had to run and pee. I was like, I was, Chris, you know me, I'll saunter. In the stadium, in between plays, if I go to take a piss break, I will find my way back when I'm ready. I was sprinting back to my seats. I didn't want to miss anything great and the team didn't let me down. And at the same time, it was legitimately the game that would not end. We didn't even get in the truck until like the halfway through the first quarter of the Giants Vikings game. It and then because of traffic, because everyone bailed out early, you know how close I lived to the stadium. Yeah. It took us an hour to get home. 
I live less than 10 minutes away. It took us an hour to get home. It was brutal. And you look at this, you go, part of the issues is the reviews, the unnecessary timeouts by both coaches. But, Chris, when you see the end result, can you really be mad about it? No. (laughs) Survive in advance. Survive in advance. So let's talk about it. First of all, I want to – you know what? I'm grabbing another Montucky. You have to. It's the playoffs. Well, I want to crack one. Hey, pour some out for our homies. I want to toast – because he might get fired. (laughs) He might get fired before this podcast even airs. I want to give a toast to Josh Boyer, the defensive coordinator of the Miami Dolphins. Elf Arteaga from Three Yards Per Carry came on our podcast last week and described a Dolphins attack that was going to try to plot along, lean on their defense, and just try to keep the game close. Like, we're going to run the ball, flow through our running backs and tight ends, and maybe, just maybe, mix this one up a little bit. Instead, what we got was an offense that genuinely felt like it could sling the rock around the yard and still keep things close to the Bills to a degree. And it's Josh Boyer's, like, it's because of him and his vision for what the defense should be that it worked. Ridiculous amount of pressure. The fact that Josh Allen threw as many touchdowns as he did, had all the epic plays that he did, and finished with the same EPA is Skylar Thompson. Very few defenses have been able to force Josh Allen to make glaring mistakes. This one did. This one did. Timely blitzes. Like, Boyer might be an idiot, but his pressure came in all kinds of key moments to help turn the tide in their favor. Third and 13. Like, after the Dawson Knox touchdown gets waved off to force a field goal, they sack Josh Allen. On third and 13. The strip sack that forced the scoop and score for Miami in the second half. They just loaded up the offensive line and said, listen, we're act- there's no subterfuge here. We're sending the fucking house. ID everybody. Allen never saw the cornerback that knocks the ball loose. Never saw him. Or at least, Chris, you think he would have at least tucked the ball, correct? Yeah. Not a chance. He never knew that guy was coming. Four times... Allen got sacked, and it immediately forced a punt or a field goal attempt. Like, for every everyone out there saying, like, oh, man, that zero cover thing and all the blitz, it gave up all these big plays, it's also the thing that kept Miami in this fucking game. And you could see it from the stands, the way that the defense was baiting Allen into trying to take these high-variance, deep passes, just moving their safeties down into the box pre-snap, knowing that Allen's not going to be able to help himself, but to try to take shots down the field. I go back to that Miami game earlier this season when they beat us in Miami. Boyer was filmed on the sidelines, yelling at his defense in a clip that was circulated all over social media, telling his defense, like, just keep attacking and let the Bills fuck this thing up because their greed for big plays will, it'll, they'll, they'll, they'll do it. Trust me, they'll make the mistakes. We need to keep the pressure on them. He wasn't wrong, was he? No. And he wasn't wrong this weekend. So I guess I got to give credit where credit's due. Kudos to Miami for coming into this game undermanned and outgunned. 
but still finding a way to mix it up on a day when their offense was outmatched in every single statistical category. Now, there are some people who are mad about drops, Chris, and I have a hard time hearing. Like, I, I can't hear a lot of that. Like, oh, my God, McKenzie. Oh, Knox dropped the ball. This guy. First of all, they weren't drops drops. They were the ball hit you and you tried to catch it and it touched the ground. I get it. It all looks the same on the score sheet. But not for nothing, being someone in the stands and seeing how much open real estate was available to these guys, Waddle had two drops. Tyreek Hill had a drop that literally if he catches the football, there's no one in front of him for 60 yards. You know he takes that to the house, correct? Yeah. It's it's like both teams have these fucking problems. We're not alone in it. So to sit here and whinge and cry about, oh, my wide receivers dropped the ball. Fuck, fuck you. Do you know how spoiled you sound? Every team drops the ball. The other team's players dropped the ball. I, I, I can't do anything with that. And for everyone who's like, oh, Gabe Davis. Do you see the tweet today, Chris, that he's at like this? Today was a walkthrough day. Today was a walkthrough day. Where the team doesn't do any like drilling or practices or anything like that. No throwing to receivers. It was tweeted out that Gabe Davis. In fact, if I go to our Twitter, Chris, go to our Twitter and see if you can find who tweeted it out. Because I don't want to, I, I don't want to steal valor here. Did you like, retweet oh, it? Oh, of course I did. Go down. Gabe Davis down. Down there. Gabe Davis, according to Dan Fates, Feats. I don't want to call him Feats. That makes me sound like Rex Ryan. Uh, Gabe Davis caught balls from the jugs machine for nearly an hour after the Bills walked through today. Lost count of how many buckets of footballs he went through. <laughs> Chris, do you think these guys don't know that they need to be better? Oh, I think they know. It was a wake-up call. Do you think Gabe Davis doesn't realize, like, hey, we've been surviving throughout the course of the season. If we lose a game, like, hey, you know, like, I've dropped some balls in games we should have won. It's okay. Like, there's always next week. There's always. It's set into these players that there is no more tomorrow. Gabe Davis knows they're lucky to have gotten away with that. So it's not like they're sleeping on this and not putting in the effort to make it better. So stop angsty tweeting about, oh, this Bills team, oh, they're they're just, they're so bad and they don't care. These guys, Chris, this is their livelihood. It's their jobs. And it's not just a job because if you want to do what I do, that's a job, right? Yeah. If you want to do what you do, I could do, Chris, driving driving a glorified tram. You hate it when I characterize your job like that, don't you? No, I don't. It's not that. It's I don't like you bring up what I do based on the fact that somebody emailed your company trying to get you fired. So Yeah, but you don't say anything offensive. You don't fight with people on social media. You don't talk to people because you don't like people. <laughs> yeah. I guess my point is I could drink a case of beer in a night and show up and do your job tomorrow. You know what I can't do? 
is dedicate myself to being an NFL football player because it requires an incredible amount of focus and dedication. And I think it's almost disrespectful to these guys to talk about them the way some of you have been. Like, the players. Coaches? I'll disparage Ken Dorsey until the cows come home. We're going to talk about that. But these guys are all working really fucking hard to fix their warts because they all want that ring as badly as we do. All right, so let's stop acting like the mistakes. They have been a more consistent football team lately, and I need you all to shut the fuck up about it sometimes. Now let's address the folks that are cranky about the offense. I want to start by saying I was once one of you. I spent the whole night battling Justin Yulberg about this. We're literally just arguing about it around my house as I'm half awake, trying to just, I need to see the end of this Ravens game. On game day, I had a number of anti-Ken Dorsey tweets, including, uh, I, I think that, like, uh, I thought that Ken Dorsey owed everybody in attendance a refund. I was like, this is your fault. And then I was like, you at least need to pay the defensive player something. You need to buy them dinner, get them, buy them all steaks, do something. You look at the offense. Allen led all quarterbacks for the weekend with an intended air yards per pass of 15 and a half per throw. And as we talked about earlier, fourth quarter stats, way, way beyond any of the aggression on display from any quarterback playing football. Chris, 26 yards per pass in the fourth quarter. Yeah. What are you trying to accomplish out here? Those numbers are kind of absurd. And from the get-go, fans should have realized that cutthroat football was going to be the soup du jour, given the... The Bills just, I don't know, on a day when there was no wind to speak of, could have easily attempted a 50-yard field goal and instead went for it on fourth and five. You kind of knew that they were going to, hey, listen, we're going to be a hyper-aggressive football team today. Fuck fourth and five. Fuck three points. We think we want seven. We think we need seven. So fuck it. We're going for it. I told Potter in the stands. It spoke to the team's belief that they weren't content with a field goal. They knew they'd need that touchdown, and a lot of them, to put Miami away. They came into the game with that mentality, and they kept it through all four quarters. And the results were mixed, but necessary. Like, four of Allen's first five passes were for first down yardage. 13 of his total, uh, total pass attempts to 20 yards or more Five completions for 159 yards and one touchdown. Like, what? Five of 13 over 20 yards in the air. 159 and a tutty in a game that was decided by three points. That aggression was necessary, even if you don't agree with it. I know it wasn't all rainbows. Down the stretch in that fourth quarter. Like, you're ju- you have the lead. You're trying to salt the game away. Instead, they put to, Dorsey and Allen got together and they conspired to create two of the most frustrating drives I've ever seen. Like, Chris, he goes d- deep down the left sideline to Gabe Davis, overthrows him. Next play, deep down the left sideline to Gabe Davis, <laughs> incomplete. Next play, I don't know what the play was because he got sacked for a three yard loss. Like, What are you guys out here? They burned no time and gave the ball back to the Dolphins. And I want to say that the Dolphins got points off that drive. 
it's just it was frustrating to watch and it led to a lot of angst from our fans now the thing is all week people have been debating the merits of this and whether ken dorsey and josh have too much freedom whether dorsey lets josh go rogue and be overly aggressive some of that might be valid do you think yeah I don't know if you like watching the rewatching the broadcast of the game. They broke down the numbers. There's a wild variance for Buffalo here because they're the fourth best takeaway defense in the NFL, but they're also the most turnover prone offense in the entire NFL playoffs at this point. A lot of people are complaining about all the deep shots that didn't land like I was on game day. But those same people are unwilling to admit that Josh's deep passing ability and the big plays that come out of it, like that's the thing that keeps us from being the Mike White Jets. That's it. Like the for all of you out there in the day, hey, we need to be the checkdown Bills crowd. On that bomb to Diggs, Davis was open for a ten yard pass, wide open. Would you have preferred, Chris, that he took that option? Yeah, sometimes it's nice to hit a 5 to 15-yard route and not have to go for 20-plus every time. But if he doesn't, but, but like, now if you would rewatch that game and go, hey, well, in that moment, let's say they settle for a field goal on that drive instead of scoring a touchdown. And you watch him throw a 15-yard route to Diggs or to Davis, and then you look and you go, oh, fuck, he had Diggs open. You'd be crucifying him for that. So what do you want? What do you people want? And I got to remind myself of this. Which offense do you think is going to win more playoff games in the NFL? The attacking style of offense that, yes, produces some glaring miscues and spends more time flirting with disaster than Molly Hatchet, but also regularly and routinely Loads all over our opponents. I almost made a really inappropriate joke, Chris. I was going to mention Christopher North. Like it was, it was going to be wild. It, I don't know who that is. Of course, or Peter North. I know who that is. <laughs> but also puts pressure on their offense to try and keep up. When you're the quarterback who watches Josh huck that bomb to Diggs. You're standing there on the sideline of Skylar Thompson going, fuck, come on, (laughs) stop doing that. When you watch him tuck that ridiculous touchdown pass into Dawson Knox's elbow, Skylar Thompson's watching on the screen going, you got to be fucking kidding me. Stop it. I, I have to match that. It's like, I don't know. And, and what do you want to be conservative small ball? It turns out Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen's offense is a lot like inviting me out for drinks with your friends. Even if you do end up a little frustrated, you're probably going to shake your head in a few times. You're probably going to have to apologize to a few people, but you're going to have a good time. We all need to learn to live with the variance of Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen. The same way you've all learned to love my drunken shenanigans each and every week. And eventually, I think we'll all learn to love them 
at least compared to the boring alternative. I mean, what do you want to be, Kirk Cousins? That is pretty boring. You want to throw into the flats on fourth and eight? Oh yeah. <laughs> is that is that what you guys want? Safe, conservative. Jesus Christ, miss me with that. <sighs> Switching sides of the ball. The front seven and linebacker play chef's kiss. Fantastic. Against a team with suspect offensive line play, which is a note next week for Cincy, the Bills front seven just had a great day. My favorite aspect of it was how much disruption they were able to provide with no blitzes. Skylar Thompson, 51 total dropbacks, pressured on 20 of them, but we only blitzed 11 times. Under pressure, he had three completions for 47 yards. Combine those numbers with the running back stats that we mentioned earlier, and the Bills basically commanded the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. The defensive line paved the way, but holy shit did these linebackers have a day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Chris, Matt Milano was at the line of scrimmage just being a monster, harassing their linebackers, harassing their quarterback all day long. I was more impressed with that decletion. By Edmonds? Oh, yeah. Edmonds was on. I could watch that over and over. They are the separation of church and state. (laughs) One of them can patrol the line of scrimmage, come on the blitz, make your life difficult, and the other one can float around in the back, but because he's so big and he's so fast, when he hits a running back like that, it's devastating. He's, what, 6'5", 255? When you watch him detonate like that against a running back, did you see how long it took that guy to get off the field? I was, uh, I saw that and I was like, Edmund's bank account just got a little bit larger. Somebody's, somebody's going to have to pay that man. To me, that's the equivalent of like in Top Gun when they buzz the tower. He's like, I just need you to remember that I'm fucking out here and that I can fuck your shit up anytime I need to. And he just comes screaming in and destroys this running back. He could have tackled him like a gentleman, Chris. I don't think that we've seen Tremaine Edmonds tackle anybody the way he's been hitting guys the last couple weeks. We're watching a different Tremaine Edmonds entering this postseason, probably because he knows not just he wants to win a Super Bowl. But probably deep down somewhere, he knows not only is this about his legacy, but also his bank account. Because to your point, 
This is how, if you leave a, a good enough taste in somebody's mouth, this is how you get paid. This, this is Kenny Powers style, right? Yeah. Uh, our, our linebackers were incredibly impressive to watch in person in this game. Like, it was just fun watching the way they fly around the football field. You know, it, it takes me back to that playoff game, Yuleberg, oddly enough. Shaking me like a rag doll, pointing out that Micah Hyde on the interception against uh, Mac Jones in the playoff game last year. He yeah. came all the way from the opposite hash to make that interception. You go back to that hit you're talking about with Tremaine Edmonds. He comes from the opposite side of the football field. It's not like he's even lined up in front of the running back to hit him that viciously. He has to come around the formation and just level this guy. You don't think that Joe Mixon's going to watch that on tape and just be like, all right, well. Well, you know, he, he called our linebackers mid. Yeah. Who's do you, th- do you think he's watching that now going? I, I probably he's a, he's a, he's talking to the one of those firms that goes and scrubs your social media accounts. He's yes. Like, he's like, guys, can you get that back? They're like, no, Joe, that's not how audio works. Once you say it out loud, it just goes out there. He's just giving us bulletin board material with that stuff. He, he thinks our linebackers are mid. I'll tell you what, our linebackers were ferocious on Sunday. And then there's some other individual efforts that I want to talk about. First of all, quarterback Trey White. Last week, we talked about how White against the Patriots really looked like the first sign of him coming back to form and how excited we were that it was coinciding with the start of the playoffs. He looked like all pro Trey White in this game. He looked the part, Chris. I He made some good plays. Crucial moments. Like that pa- on that deep pass to Waddle, that was coming towards our end zone. To watch him get his arm in there and break that up. Is that where he Waddle went down? Yeah, Waddle went down yeah, and yeah. kind of held his arm awkwardly. Yeah, I saw that play. That that I, I kind of felt like Thompson kind of left that ball in the air a little bit. Oh, he did. Cuz Trey White was burned and was able to catch up to it and get his arm in there. Made a great play. He was tied for the team lead in targets with nine. Five while covering Tyreek Hill. Had, when he was in coverage, he held Hill to one catch for 13 yards. And then he allowed just one first down when he was in real coverage down the field. That's the all-pro Trey White. That's the guy. And re-watching the game, he looks... He looks more confident, not just in the fact that, like, hey, he got his hand in there. Hey, his, his mechanics look good all of a sudden. Chris, attacking the ball, showing physicality and coverage, and then he pops up and he's dancing. He pops up and he's got, you can tell he's getting his, it's like how Stella got her groove back. I'd like to see a movie called How Trey Got His Swag Back. You're watching it. Every week you're watching Trey get a little he's trusting himself more. And along with it, he's becoming that disruptive cornerback presence that we've kind of missed all season long. Now, there's a thing going on here at slot wide receiver that I find incredibly interesting. Chris, you've never been a Devin Singletary fan. Not uh, No. 
There's a thing going on here at slot wide receiver that I find incredibly interesting. Chris, you have never been an Isaiah McKenzie fan. No. Never. Correct. Entering the season, you were still skeptical of him, even after the contract they gave him. Yes. And it, we've talked about it this year. His play has been up and down. You know, it's it's difficult when you look at the numbers and you see a guy who he'll have a big game here or there, depending on whether the defense plays man or zone. And his mental miscues, his mistakes, kind of limit what he's able to contribute to the football team, by and large. And so it's been a frustrating year watching him eat up most of the starts and most of the snaps at slot wide receiver this year. You know, people have been pounding the table. We need to see more of Shakir, and it's not coming. And they keep putting McKenzie out there, and he keeps kind of dropping the bag. So this week he was unavailable. The team just recently signed Cole Beasley to the active roster, and they have Khalil Shakir. And you got to watch the team put the two of them into action behind, to kind of like, hey, we know neither of you is like, neither of you has the whole package, but I think together you can both do something. Now they split duty, Shakir and Beasley, 41% and 43% respectively. So they were in like together, the slot wide receiver group. And I want to start with Beasley. First of all, I had a conversation with Potter in the stands, and I was arguing with someone in the bathroom, which, Chris, note to self and note to everybody listening to this podcast, if you're at a Bills game and you're trying to have a real football conversation with people, don't do it with drunk guys with your dicks out in the bathroom. It's just a, it, There's no intelligent conversation to be had there. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I would never talk to somebody in the bathroom. I have no shame. I don't know what you want from me. So I'm talking to these people about because they're like, Beasley sucks. Beasley's slow. Beasley's old. I don't know why he's out here. And I keep trying to tell him, I go, this is what I've seen. Josh Allen, when he throws to Cole Beasley on these miscues from the Bengals first game to this game and all the spaces in between where he's thrown incomplete, it's the same pass every time. It's outside requiring a hands catch and he's putting it where only his guy can get it. This game, he threw an interception trying to throw to Cole Beasley and he threw it inside and it was, a, it was a bullet. And I almost want to say it was a little bit behind Beasley bobbles it and it ends up in the air. It ends up getting picked off and run back and it results in points for the other team. I don't think Cole Beasley's washed. I think Josh Allen really needs to reacclimate to how he needs to throw to Cole Beasley's lack of top end speed. He's throwing this ball in places where he expects him to accelerate to, and he just can't get there. That's not Beasley's fault, is it, Chris? No. It's like the frog and the scorpion. You should know who Cole Beasley is and what his talents are what his range is before you start trying to fire these piss missiles to him. I put this on Josh, right? I put that aspect of Beasley's struggles squarely on the shoulders of Josh Allen. He needs to figure out if Beasley's going to be really, really effective the way that he used to. He needs to have a better handle on exactly where Beasley needs the football. The two of them got to get together. I don't know if it's practice sessions away from T. I don't know what it is. 
But if you want him to be as effective as he can be, he Allen needs to understand the limitations of Beasley's speed as he's gotten older. And that just was on display left and right. But with that said, you watch the way they approach this game against the Dolphins. And I think that, you know, all week, Greg Thompson and I were arguing with people on Twitter about how the Bills don't just, Greg made an innocuous comment about how he can't wait to see what new wrinkles or what new plays the team has. And people were like, oh, why would they hide good plays? And Greg was like, you morons. It's not like Ken Dorsey goes to a shelf and has a green binder that says the good plays and just pulls them down and blows the dust off it and goes, okay, guys, now the playoffs are here. We're, hey, hey, guys, we're using the good plays finally. That's not how NFL play calling fucking works. Instead, it's wrinkles and nuances thrown into existing formations, existing things that you already do. Using current personnel you have differently than you have before in a way that defensive coordinators don't have a lot of tape on. That's what separates teams in the postseason who really find something, quote unquote, new. And we saw some of that this week from the Buffalo Bills, whether people want to admit it or not. And it starts here at the slot position. We're used to not getting anything from the slot. What, McKenzie had one good game against the Patriots? Yeah. One big game week one against the Rams. I think he's been absentee pretty much the rest of the season. I mean, I've got his game log right here. His game log. Uh, Let's see. 96 yards against Detroit. All right. So, again, a man-heavy team. 96 and a tutty. He had 76 and a tutty against Miami the first time. Red zone weapon. Not available this time. And basically, in most of his other games... 20 yards, 21 yards, 44 yards. He's getting five, six targets a game and catching two of them. Like, it, it hasn't gone well. So teams that are preparing for the Bills are preparing for a slot position that's not producing a ton. You look at their usage, Cole Beasley, right? He's limited athletically. And you saw that play out in terms of the fine statistics, right? His separation wasn't great. Like, his his cushion wasn't great. They basically came in and said, look, we're going to take away your wide receivers at the line of scrimmage. The, the Dolphins, under Josh Boyer, like we talked about, hyper-aggressive defense. We're not going to let anybody get off. We're going to hold you guys down, and we're going to try to take away any get-off that you guys might have. The result was that the Bills wide receivers, by and large, didn't get a ton of separation or a ton of uh, Gabe Cole Beasley. Like when you deployed him against where they were like, hey, look at the personnel. We think they're going to run zone or we think that we can steal on them with this. They'd roll Cole Beasley out there. His average cushion was four point seven yards per snap. And his separation was one of the lowest of any wide receiver of the week. I mean, he he was up there with, like, what? Cole Beasley, oldest Julio Jones, guys who you knew you had to stick to, like DK Metcalf, T. Higgins. He was, out of all the slot receiver options of the weekend, he had the lowest natural separation because the Dolphins played a lot of man coverage. And you saw that in kind of his inability to contribute in terms of total yardage. 
But when you got in the red zone, where teams have a really difficult time matching up in that capacity, that's where he made his mark. He catches that ball. He takes it in for a tutty. He still found a way to be effective in the red zone, which is something Isaiah McKenzie was doing all season, despite his inability to contribute in other ways. At the same time, you look at the other option they deployed in the slot, Khalil Shakir. Now, I understand Khalil Shakir has been an interesting thing. Like Fans have been clamoring for him. He hasn't gotten a ton of run, and he only saw the field this week because of the injury to McKenzie. But in games like where the Bills think that the opponent's going to leave their safeties out of the box and that they're going to play a little bit more man, and in situations on Sunday where they ran more man coverage, you saw them turn to Khalil Shakir. And here's what I think is interesting. When you look at the air yards targeted, like how far downfield were these players targeted? This weekend, when you look at Khalil Shakir's fine metrics, you're talking about a kid who, in terms of separation, didn't get much better in terms of where Cole Beasley ended up. Yeah, Cole Beasley ends up at 2.6 yards, I believe, per snap, and he ends up over 2.4, and he ends up at 2.6. So realistically, it wasn't like the Dolphins gave Isaiah Isaiah Hodgins, Jesus Christ, Khalil Shakir, much room to work. It's funny because they were right next to each other, Chris. Imagine if we still had Isaiah Hodgins. (laughs) Nate Geary would be very happy. Khalil Shakir didn't have that much more separation. Right, But at the same time, they knew in moments when they said, hey, the Dolphins are going man cover with no safety help. The targeted air yards downfield couldn't have been more different. With Khalil Shakir on the field, 19 and a half yards per throw. They said, hey, our slot receiver down the field when it's Shakir can be a weapon for us. We think that because, well... The kid's fast. He's a good route runner. In fact, I would argue, Chris, and some smart people might fight me, he's already as good a route runner as Gabe Davis currently is as a three-year veteran. All right. He's got some explosion to get up the field after he catches the ball. On five targets, he did the McKenzie thing, right? So what they did was they took this slot thing and they broke it up and they said, hey, You, Cole Beasley, we're going to give you five targets. Hey, Shakir, we're going to give you five targets. Well, Khalil Shakir took his five targets and his 19 and a half yards down the field being targeted, turned it into 51 receiving yards, multiple first downs. Cole Beasley, not great until you get into the red zone. And all of a sudden, he's in there for a touchdown, and you go, well, that kind of salvages your day. On 10 targets, 6 catches, a combined 80, what, 81 yards? 86 yards? If that's, yeah, if I'm looking at this properly, yeah. 86 yards and a touchdown. That makes up one competent slot receiver, doesn't it? Yeah. Now think about the statistics that alongside that our starting outside wide receivers were able to put up. I believe that the Bills might have just found their recipe 
for what's going to make them successful over the course of the rest of the offseason or the, the postseason. It's that you're not going to get there with just McKenzie. You're not going to get there with just Beasley. And you're not going to get there with just Shakir. You've tried that through 16, 17 weeks, and it hasn't worked. We're now in winner-go-home mode. Why wouldn't you just take this one position, throw the kitchen sink at it? Chris, now you have options. You have jet sweep options available to you. With McKenzie's speed, his ball-carrying ability. You have Shakir's vertical ability that, true or false, McKenzie isn't half the downfield receiver Shakir's already shown us. 100%. Does McKenzie understand zone concepts the way that Cole Beasley does? The ability to just kind of find a space behind the linebackers and sink into it, make himself available? I have no idea. I don't think so. The Bills now have options. Like, it's not even a debate. I love it. This is a good problem to have, and it emerged this week because of McKenzie's lack of availability. They can now go... Now there's so much on tape for defensive coordinators to worry about, and they can craft a game plan. If you make all three active on game day... Now, I don't know who you're putting on special teams. I know Shakir plays them. I don't think Cole Beasley does at 32 years old. Uh, Maybe 33... I mean, he's old as shit. He looks like a pirate. I wouldn't put him out there. McKenzie doesn't play special teams, does he? I wouldn't want him to. So, what are like? You're going to have to get creative with how you find a way. But if you have all three of them active, you're going to have a lot of options. And that's just on the inside, coming from a position that has been a loss leader for the Bills all season. I was happy to watch that kind of explode in this one. But the one that made me the happiest, Chris, is this week's Hero of the Week, and that's rookie cornerback Kyrie Elam. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a, just a big, hairy American winning machine. I've already taken to calling him the prodigal cornerback. The prodigal cornerback returns, and not a moment too soon. We're talking about a kid who was drafted in the first round, right? Like, when you think about how this 2022 season is gone for Kyrie Elam, it's probably gone very differently than he expected when he was drafted in the first round back in the spring, don't you think? Yeah. Like, he gets taken in the, what, what like 20, what, 20... 24? 24, 25 range. Some, something like that. We trade up to get him because the Chiefs traded up to get Trent McDuffie. So we trade up to take Kyrie Elam. And at the same time, like, you think about that and he goes, all right, they want me. I'm here. I'm a first-round pick. Obviously, this is going to go well. I'm going to get my shots. I'm going to have my season. I'm going to learn how to play pro football. And then it all comes off the rails. Like, first of all, he comes out of training camp losing snaps and eventually losing starts to a sixth-round pick. And Christian Benford. The staff just likes what Benford brings to the table. They like his consistency more than they like Elam's. Then he gets hurt. Then coming out of being hurt, the team refuses to put him on the field 
behind some veteran journeyman who isn't even on the fucking roster anymore. Do you know that Xavier Rhodes is currently playing for Dallas? I don't think anyone knew that. Yeah. I saw it on TV and I was like, what the fuck? He's not on our practice squad? So you mean to tell me that we marginalized a first-round rookie for that guy who's not even here anymore? So with that in mind, Sunday had to feel really fucking good. Right? You're talking about a guy who posted the best coverage grade of anybody on the fucking team. Anybody. He was only he was targeted four times and allowed one catch for two yards. <laughs> one catch for two yards. Not only that, like he he just had a game. Like the kid just he looked the part of a starting NFL cornerback. Isn't that the thing that we've been pushing for all season? Yeah. Dane Jackson goes down, and the coaching staff was like, well, he might be able to come back, but realistically, like, he might be able to come back, but really, we didn't need to because Kyre was playing such a strong game. We said, hey, rest. Rest that knee. It's dinged up. You'll get better over the course of a week. Here we go. He was our second highest rated player, according to Pro Football Focus. The interception that he had early in the game. And then the pass breakup to save the game on a play where he was cramping up. I feel like this was like, it was almost storybook. Like, you think about how poorly, like, how up and down this kid's. Like, first of all, like, you think about all of this. This game that he had on Sunday, it's not just like hey kudos for him we all give him a round of applause this game was a reward not just for him right but also for this franchise it's a reward for the player that it it was proof positive that you can go in you can come into buffalo and with this coaching staff Especially, Chris, what's Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier's specialty in terms of positional coaching? Defensive backs. You can come in here as a rookie. And just to prove that he had it, right? Like the reason a lot of hubbub in the pre-draft process about how the notebook, remember the notebook of all the guys he was going to play and whatever? Yeah, yeah, all his notes. And all the talk about his, like, he comes from an NFL family. Like he under he should have the mental makeup for it. You saw it. This game was proof positive that they were right on scouting Elam. Because through the course of this season, all of that adversity, the injuries, the lost playing time, the being benched, probably could have soured a lot of kids who were taken in the first round and expected to be a hero. This kid instead had no ego. He checked his ego at the door. He said, how can I become a more consistent football player? His words. He said, I had to do some soul searching and figure out how do I just go out there, become more consistent, learn to just play rather than thinking about the game of football. And in the process, came out the other side a better player. He went through the crucible of this season and came out the type of player that most teams want on their team as a starting cornerback. 
And the Buffalo Bills were lucky enough to have him down the stretch in the fourth quarter of a playoff game opposite Trey White. It's a reward for the coaching staff for showing patience with a young kid, but also a willingness to say, look, we're going to give you every opportunity to prove yourself. If you think you're ready, if we think you're ready, then let's go make some magic. They work together over the course of 18 weeks of football and were rewarded with the game that we saw on Sunday. I love it. I love it for him. I love it for his game. I love it for just the Bills. I love it for everything. And that brings us to the zero of the week, and that's Miami Dolphins defensive tackle Christian Wilkerson. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Did you do that on purpose? Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. (laughs) God. Christian Wilkins is the guy's name. What did I call him? Wilkerson. Wilkerson, Wilkins. Who gives a fuck? He's a dickhead. And yet I love it. Chris, I love it. Do you know? Okay, let, let me lay this out for you. Good rivalries. Like, what's one of the best recent football rivalries that you can think of? You versus the refs? <laughs> me versus gravity. Me versus staircase. I've got a lot of enemies. But in terms of NFL football and teams and, like, things that become must-watch TV when they play each other, is it fair to say the Steelers and Ravens are probably the last real rivalry that got national attention? Yeah, divisional rivals. Divisional rivals, but also real animosity. Terrell Suggs, Ray Lewis, Ed Reed. Murders. (laughs) The Steelers. Heinz Ward, Troy Palomalu, Casey Hampton, like, Holote Nada. These were bad motherfuckers. And they did not like each other. (laughs) Their teams had real palpable dislike for one another. And it made the games that they produced must-watch TV. These guys weren't Boy Scouts. Heinz Ward, the wide receiver from the uh, Steelers. I can still remember the game where he broke Keith Rivers' jaw because he put a dirty hit on one of his teammates. That's a wide receiver coming across on a blindside block that he he basically was like, I'm going to run a crossing route. And instead of running a crossing route, he came across the field, blindside blocked Keith Rivers in the face and shattered his jaw. That's the type of nasty I'm talking about. These are, this is, I hate you, fuck you football. And it was must-see TV. Now, when's the last time the Buffalo Bills had a real rival in the division? Uh, probably the Jets. Real rival, like real rival. It's it's like the Jets. Ninth. You can you can have a competition fighting for the basement. Sure, okay, but it didn't feel like anything. There was no, no emotion. We weren't tied winners. To it. Uh, so it's probably the nineties, the Marino Dolphins versus the Kelly G- Kelly Bills, right? Yes. And the thing is that when you go back and what you look at, you look at what made those things great is you had heroes and you had villains. And the funny thing is, is that each of our teams has some of those, depending on who you're talking to. We make no bones about the fact that 
Josh Allen's not exactly a Boy Scout. Like, he is off the field. On the field, Chris? Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a handful. <laughs> he's, he talks a lot of shit. He backs a lot of it up. Uh, you look at the way some of our players play, and they take their cues from Josh. And for the longest time, we've had nobody here in the division to answer us. So against a Miami team that really has kept every single game against them close this season, what, a four-point win, a two-point win, and a three, a two-point loss, a three-point win, or a four-point win, and a three-point win on Sunday. Really tough, nasty football games. In the final snap of the game, you've got Christian Wilkins mouthing off to Josh Allen and Josh Allen talking shit back to him to a point where, like I tweeted it out, there's a picture of the referee's face as he's kind of getting in between them while they're talking shit to each other and the look on his face is like, Jesus Christ, guys, this is just a game. <laughs> Not to them. Think about what a nasty prick Christian Wilkins is. Yeah. It goes this whole season. Like, he's got a long-standing history with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, in 2019, Travis Wingfield tweeted out a video. Christian Wilkins penalized and ejected for throwing a punch at Cody Ford on the second play of the game. <laughs> Gets kicked out of the game. Later that season, he snatched it. Later the following season in 2020, when Cam Newton is the quarterback of the New England Patriots. I know this because we talked to El Fartiago about it. He snatches Cam Newton's chain during a game. Just steals it in the middle of a pile. And then doesn't give it back to him. <laughs> and takes it to the locker room. And basically is like, listen, on your manhood, you're going to have to come back here and beg me for this thing. And then he starts stealing towels from players on the field and being like, I know who I stole every one of these from, and I'm going to stack them up in my locker. Why? Because fuck them, guys. What are they going to do about it? You finally, like, Chris, good movies need heroes, villains, and conflict, don't they? Yeah. This rivalry between the Dolphins and Bills finally has a villain a la Brian Cox. Like, that's what fueled my hatred for the Dolphins my entire life or at least up until their team became forgettable, was just this guy who had the balls to come out flipping off Bills fans everywhere and then playing a dominating brand of football. Christian Wilkins is one of their best players, and yet he has the audacity to also be a scumbag. He's grabbing dicks in the pile, and he's punching people, and he's stealing shit, and he's, getting, he's, he's doing everything he can to get under everyone's skin all the time, Chris. And he's kind of met his foil in Josh Allen, who is the leader of our football team, whose attitude is, you don't get to be the big dog on the football field because I'm the guy. And fuck you, I'll get into a shoving match with you if I feel... <laughs> I probably can't win because you outweigh me by 100 pounds, but fuck you, I'm going to try. That's what breeds rivalries. Real palpable rivalries and makes them must-watch TV. Christian Wilkins is a loser for all these antics that he pulls. Chris, do you know that there was a fight in the tunnel? No. The teams had to be separated after this game. Do you want to know why? 
Christian Wilkins, because Josh was talking shit to him after the final snap, bull rushed the victory formation, Greg Schiano style. How do you think the offensive lineman felt about that? Not great. <laughs> the rivalry is back. Like, it's on. And I can't get enough of it. That guy's a loser. But man, do I love it. I love it. And Chris, do I get an honorable mention here? Yeah, you do. Why? Tell it. T- tell our listeners why. Refresh their memory. Well, you lost the stake bet again. Fitting, it's was the 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 whole bet was four and a half was the over under set by Greg Thompson over at Cover One. The remaining divisional games when we had three in a row, and then the Patriots. It was the remaining divisional games of the regular season plus playoffs. Four and a half. And we did it. Not only did we do it, but then we beat one in the playoffs. So doesn't it almost count as six? No. Like, you get your four, and then the half, like, that should count as five and a half. You guys just better go to the western door. That's all I got to say. Here's what I want to know. So now I've lost another stake bet, which means we're going to have to pony up, and Greg Thompson's going to show up in jeans and a sport coat, and we're going to have to go somewhere. Where in the city of Buffalo should I take a man of Greg Thompson's stature to a steakhouse? Like, I, lo- I like Russell's. It's not bad. Western door. Been to the chop house. It's actually where we ran into Cody Ford. The Western door. You keep saying that. I want to hear from our listeners. Tweet us at Rockpile Report. Your steakhouse recommendations for me to pay off my steak bet with Mr. Greg Thompson from Cover One. Chris, your final thoughts out of this game. Um, easy. It's not going to be about the game at all. It's going to be about this board right here. Oh boy, season's almost over. So I know people people want to know the number. I'm not going to give you a number. The You're only, talking about the beer watch board. The only stat that I'm going to give you about the alcohol we've consumed the night of this podcast. Can you see Iman Azizi up there? Let me see. Let me squint. Ba, 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 ba. Left. What? What? I'm almost insulted. 155? Yeah, we've doubled that. <laughs> Just so you know, Iman, we have doubled your prediction of 155 beers on the podcast. So, yeah, open up and celebrate. There's a lot of numbers up there that are uh, are already out. So I like uh, Thomas Bromier. Well, he did what the even four hundred? Just an even four hundred. Yeah, that'll be tough to get to, but a lot of those are out. Says, says you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> start drinking and looking for a new liver on Craigslist. Uh, if I have any final thoughts as we close this out, there were plenty of fans that were, as the kids say, big mad over the outcome of this one, and it's not like the team didn't give them fodder. Over-aggressive offense. Mistakes by our quarterback. Chris, you can't have a fumble for a touchdown in a playoff game, can you? I mean, saw Cincinnati. (laughs) This is my point. Like, you can't fumble for a touchdown. You had a bevy of drops by Bills wide receivers and tight ends that not only made the game take forever, but also stalled our offense on a number of occasions. And it just fed into this. Like, both of those dynamics fed into what just turned this game into a nail-biter. 
I'd almost be inclined to feel the same way as those people. Luckily, I was able to get some perspective by watching the rest of the football that got played this playoff weekend. Chris, the Bengals looked really, really mortal. Like that high fly after that Jonah Williams injury. High flying offense just ground to a halt. They had to become a dink and dunk offense. Luckily for them, Jamar Chase is great, and they were playing a Raven secondary that was I don't know what they were doing. But Chris, they held him under 101 touchdown. They held Joe Burrow to a single passing touchdown. That's pretty good. And if you look at the fine metrics. The Bills are a better defense than the Ravens statistically this season. You look at the Chargers. They dominated a whole half of football. Touchdowns, multiple takeaways. And then they fell asleep at the wheel and got sent home by the Jaguars when they couldn't make a few key plays down the stretch when they needed it. They were anti-clutch. And now they're going home. The Ravens, behind a poor passing attack, managed to take the Bengals down to the wire, but their coach just made questionable calls, none more glaring than going away from the running backs, who'd carried the team's offense throughout the game in the most crucial red zone series of the entire game and ultimately cost them their season. You get the Vikings. Chris, was anybody shocked by that outcome? No. Well, hey, hey. The team that's been playing with fire all year finally got burned. They watched their naturally conservative quarterback check the ball down to a tight end in the flat on fourth and eight with no time. Because it's so woven into his DNA to avoid turnovers and just, quote-unquote, take what the defense gives you. Josh Allen would never. Josh Allen would rather die trying to run on fourth and eight. I shouldn't say that, given things that have happened. But we've watched him cartwheel headfirst, trying to get a first down on Monday Night Football in a game that he could afford to lose. He was willing to sacrifice his body to make it. In a playoff game, fourth and eight, they've got everybody covered. Josh Allen's not checking that ball down, is he? No. No. Like, is our coaching staff... But Chris, you look at it, the Dolphins turn the ball over on fourth down. There's almost no time left. This is our chance to run the game out. The team could have continued being aggressive the way they had all day. But our coach stepped in and goes, listen, let's run the fucking ball, get this first down and get the fuck out of here. And what do we do? Smart coaching. (laughs) Want to talk about clutch? How many clutch plays did our defense come up with when they needed it? Compared to the, like, look at the Chargers. They're collapsed down the stretch. The Bills pulled their shit together every time they needed to. Got clutch plays from guys like Kyrie Elam, Trey White. The Bengals. Look at the Bengals. They're happy to have squeaked. They are lucky to have squeaked by on a defensive scoop and score being the deciding factor. Because if that score holds, like they didn't score any more points after that. Like that happened with six minutes left in the game. They still didn't score any more points. 
If the Ravens kick a field goal, there's a chance they win that game. Perspective is a hell of a thing, isn't it? Yes, the Bills did just narrowly win a game against a just decimated Miami roster that threw the kitchen sink at him. But it doesn't matter. We're moving on, and they're not. Not only are we moving on, but you can see the delineation between the teams that have coaching, have talent, and have the guts that our team does, and the ones that don't. Mostly in the simple fact that the ones that don't are already scheduling their golf trips and trying to figure out how the hell they're going to deal with their wives and kids for the next five months until the NFL season starts up again. Our guys aren't in that boat, and neither are we. So Chris, raise a glass. Survive in advance. Survive in advance. Guys, we got to get the hell out of here. Thank you for showing up each and every week. I can't wait to hopefully do one of these again. A victory podcast. That's all I want for next week. I can't wait, but for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this has been your Rock Pile Report.